Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we march through political landscapes with style and substance. I'm your host, Marianne Christie, and today we're delving into the heart of Ohio's electoral progression. Ohio is a state known for its pivotal role in national politics, has undergone significant changes in its congressional districts following the 2020 census, with the loss of one district, the political landscape shifted setting the stage for the 2022 midterm elections, where Republicans secured 10 seats, leaving the Democrats with five. But the story doesn't end there. In September 2023, the Ohio Redistricting Commission unanimously approved new House and Senate maps for 2024 following extensive negotiations. By November 2023, the Ohio Supreme Court solidified these districts for the 2024 primary elections. Today, we're privileged to have a first-hand account of these changes from someone deeply entrenched in Ohio's electoral procedure. Joining us is Sherry Poland, the Board of Election Director in Cincinnati, situated in Hamilton County. Sherry brings a wealth of experience, having served in various capacities within the board since 2004, culminating in her appointment as director in 2020 or 2014. As the overseer of local, state, and federal elections in Hamilton County, Sherry is uniquely positioned to shed light on key changes implemented and their impact on the electoral process. Sherry, welcome to High Heels in Politics. We're eager to hear your insight of Ohio's electoral journey. Thank you for having me. Sherry, our listeners come from all corners of Ohio, not just Cincinnati. Can you clarify if the rules and regulations governing elections in Ohio apply uniformly across all 88 counties? Additionally, who oversees 88 boards of elections and who is responsible for crafting the rules and regulations of voting? Moreover, is there a mechanism in place for addressing election issues and questioning election results? And if so, to whom can questions be directed? I know it's a long question, but it's an important one. Sure, I'll start with the basics. It's the Ohio General Assembly's responsibility to set the date, time, and method of elections in the state of Ohio. And then the Secretary of State as the chief elections official for the state, provides uniform guidance in implementing the laws that the General Assembly passed 
in regards to election administration. So there's a board of elections in every Ohio county. So that means we have 88 boards of elections in the state of Ohio, and they all follow the same uniform guidance that's provided by the secretary of state. If somebody has a question, a voter, who can they turn their questions to if not a local election board? That's a very important question because there's a lot of of myths and disinformation regarding elections out there these days. And so it's important that voters look to a trusted source. Please don't believe everything that you see on social media. Go to the trusted source and the trusted source is going to be your local board of elections or the Ohio Secretary of State's office. Is there at some point we'll ask you to give you a, a give us a number to for anyone to contact here or the state of Ohio? Can you give a brief overview of how the Cincinnati Board of Election operates? Sure. Well, the Hamilton County Board of Elections is, as you mentioned, our county seat is Cincinnati. We are in charge of conducting all local, state, and federal elections that occur within Hamilton County. We are governed by a four-person board. Two are members of the local Democratic Party and two are members of the local Republican Party. That four-person board then appoints a director and deputy director who must also be of opposite political parties. And that same structure occurs in all 88 county boards of elections in Ohio. Now, in Hamilton County, we're the third largest county in the state. So obviously, we need an additional staff. Two people is not enough to run a local board of elections in Hamilton County. But in some of the small counties in the state, they may only have two full-time employees. In Hamilton County, we have 44, 22, again, appointed by the local Democratic Party and two by the local Republican Party. As you can see, there's a common theme. It's bipartisanship. That's the way boards of elections are structured in Ohio. Democrats and Republicans working together to do the people's work in administering the election. That board appoints the director here in Hamilton County. How are these members appointed to the board? That's a very good question. They are nominated by their local political parties, again, to the local Democratic, to the local Republican Party. The parties send their nominations to the Secretary of State. As I mentioned earlier, the Secretary of State is the chief elections official for the state. So the Secretary makes that appointment based on the local political party's recommendations. They serve, each board member serves for a four-year term. They are not term limited, so there's no limit to the amount of time they can serve on the board, but they do serve staggered four-year terms. So every even year, two board members are appointed or reappointed uh, to their term. It sounds like it's an an even split. So two Democrats agree and two Republicans, and who makes the final decision? Uh, Yes. If we would have a tie vote, it's the secretary of state who breaks that tie. Well, now let's get to the the March primary. When does the voter registration 
for the March primary election begin? And when can early voting start? Registration is ongoing now. Listeners out there that have not yet registered to vote in the state of Ohio, or if perhaps they've moved or changed their name since the last time they voted, the time to update your local board of elections with that information is now or to register for the first time is now. The deadline is February 20th. So every so February 20th is the final date to change your registry. And I, I say this because I moved and, and, you know, that's the last thing you think about. Why should, you know, worrying about voting instead, I wanted to vote in my I moved. It was only. So what happens in a case like that? Yes, I'm glad. I'm glad that you brought that up. So February 20th is the deadline to register for the primary election. And however, if you moved and you do not update the Board of Elections by the February 20th, you can still participate in the primary election as long as you were a registered voter in Ohio, somewhere in Ohio. By that deadline of February 20th. So let's give the example. If you were a registered voter in Columbus and then you've moved to Hamilton County, you did not update your address with Hamilton County. When you appear to vote in person, whether that's at our early vote center or at your polling place on election day, you will be offered a provisional ballot. It's the same ballots that everyone else receives. The difference is that it's not counted on election night. For a provisional voter, their voted ballot is placed inside an envelope versus uh, being scanned at the polling place. And then on the envelope is an affidavit where the voter attests to certain information, their name, their address, their form of ID. They provide their date of birth and a signature. And then that information is compared to the voter registration database, not not only in Hamilton County, but across the state of Ohio. So if a voter was registered in our example this time in Franklin County, then that provisional ballot can be counted as long as the voter did not vote in any other county, specifically in this example, again, Columbus. Provisional voting is really a safety net It allows voters who maybe did not meet the deadline to change their address in time to still vote in the election, but it also keeps the security of the election and the integrity of the election because it prevents a voter from casting more than one ballot in the election. What identification is needed to vote today when you go to the polls? I'm so glad that you asked that question because voter ID did change last year. And I know there's many of your listeners that may only participate in presidential elections. So this will be a change for them since the last time they voted. In the state of Ohio, when appearing in person to vote, again, whether that's at the early vote center or at your polling place on election day, you must provide a photo ID. The types of acceptable photo ID are an Ohio driver's license, an Ohio state identification card, a U.S. passport, or a military ID, photo ID. So every voter must present one of those types of forms of ID when appearing in person to vote. If a voter does not have one of those types of ID, 
they can visit their local Bureau of Motor Vehicle and receive a free state ID. Interesting. What rights and assistance are provided for voters with disability or those in care facilities like nursing homes? Sure, I'll begin with voters um, who have disabilities. There's uh, several different ways that voters with disabilities may vote. One is they may appear again in person at their early vote center or at their polling place on election day. They may choose to bring a family member or a friend with them to assist them in voting, or they could ask for assistance from poll workers. When asking for assistance from poll workers, then a poll worker from each political party must assist. So uh, a, re- a Republican and a Democrat exactly go out there must assist the voter. And the way they assist them is by reading the ballot verbatim to the voter and then marking the ballot with the voter's choices. They cannot answer any questions about the ballot, about candidates, about questions or issues. They can only read verbatim what's on the ballot. And that's explained to the person with a disability. Yes, absolutely. Or the person with a disability may choose um, to use one of our disabled access units. And that is a machine that's in every polling location that allows a voter with a disability to vote independently. And one of these machines are required to be in every polling place in the state of Ohio. Basically, just imagine if a voter is a visually impaired, this machine would have headphones that would allow the ballot to be read to the voter. And then the voter can use the machine to mark their choices on the ballot. Well, that's fine if you don't have hearing problems. What if you're deaf? Yes, the same machine has the ability to enlarge font or for voters to just simply simply read the ballot. We also have, a, as far as voters who, who may be deaf or have hearing problems, we provide our poll workers in Hamilton County with a sheet to give them when they come to check in so the voter can read. Obviously, we're unable to verbally communicate to a voter as far as the instructions for providing ID and signing the poll book. So we have a paper instruction that is then given to those voters. What happens to people who don't speak English, who don't understand, but have a right to vote? It's interesting when you look at that question. Yes, yes. The ability to speak or or read the English language is not a requirement to be a U.S. citizen. We may have voters who are citizens and have the right to vote, but may not speak English. There are a handful, a very small number of counties in Ohio that are required to provide a ballot in Spanish. In Hamilton County, we, we are not required to do that. So all of our ballots are in English. But just like a voter with a disability may bring someone to assist them, anyone may bring someone to assist them with their ballot. So someone who does not speak English may bring an interpreter with them. Interesting. When you send out people to care facilities, nursing homes and places like that, who goes to these people, these voters? Yes, it's our sworn bipartisan election officials. We hire temporary staffing to be a part of what we call our nursing home program. So we send packets of materials to the nursing homes in Hamilton County, actually about 50 to 60 days prior to election day, letting them know an election is coming up. 
providing registration forms in case they have residents that have recently moved into their facility and need to update their address so we can get their registration up to date. We also provide vote-by-mail applications. Residents in nursing homes may choose to vote-by-mail, absolutely permissible under Ohio law. We will mail a ballot to them if they fill out the form and make that request. Sometimes voters that are confined in nursing homes will ask for assistance. They'll need assistance in reading or marking their ballot. And that's when we send our bipartisan election officials to the nursing home. We do coordinate this with the nursing home staff so they know that we're coming what date and time. And we provide them with a list of voters or a list of their residents who have requested assistance. People talk about, or here a year or two ago, about the whole mail-in process. Does the Board of Elections send out people uh, to a letter saying, do you want a ballot? Again, I'm glad you brought that up because that might be the way it's done in other states, but that is not the way that it happens in Ohio. In Ohio, a voter must fill out an application requesting a vote-by-mail ballot for every election. The only exception to that is our military and civilians living overseas. They may submit one application for a year. So one application, military and overseas, will is enough to request a ballot for every election occurring in that year. But everyone else, we have to submit a new application with every election. And Hmm. that application contains the voter's name, date of birth, address, a form of ID, and signature. And that information must match what we have on file before that ballot is issued. I'd also like to bring up that when voting by mail, although ID law did change last year, for voters that vote by mail, they may provide a copy of a photo ID or they can still use the last four digits of their social security number when voting by mail. What is the current population of Hamilton County and how many voters are registered to vote and how many Republicans and how many Democrats? Yeah, I believe as of 2021, the population in Hamilton County was determined to be a little over 826,000 and there's slightly under 600,000 currently registered to vote. Now we're going to go to some questions because there's been a, there's a lot of controversy nationally. What measures has the Ohio Board of Elections implemented to ensure the safety and integrity of the vote counting during this upcoming primary election, particularly in light of evolving security threats and concerns? Well, I think to start off with first and foremost, which is something we've already been talking about, is that elections in Ohio are run by bipartisan election officials. So it's both Democrats and Republicans working together to ensure that the process is secure and to keep the integrity in the election. I'd also like to mention that the voting equipment that's used in the state of Ohio, the equipment that goes out to the polling places where people either mark their ballots or scan their ballots, as well as the tabulation system that's at all of the Board of Elections headquarters, is not connected to the Internet. In fact, Secretary of State Frank LaRose required the voting machine vendors to receive independent testing and certification that the equipment does not even have the hardware making it capable 
to connect to the internet. So our equipment is not even capable of connecting to the internet. And of course, it's important to note that all voting equipment used in the state of Ohio is certified on a federal level by the United States Elections Assistance Commission and on a state level by the State Board of Voting Machine Examiners. Secretary LaRose issued quite extensive security directive to all 88 county boards of elections in 2019. I admit it was challenging to implement that security directive. It looked at not only cybersecurity, but physical security in 2019. But we did it, we accomplished it. And when 2020 came, we were so glad that we had put all of those procedures in place by 2020. Since then, you know, this isn't something, security is not a one and done. Okay, I've, I've, I've secured, I'm done. No, you constantly are reevaluating your processes and your systems and looking for where you may be vulnerable and making those changes. So that's what we've been working on ever since 2020. Again, just continually to train our staff on cybersecurity, on physical security, update our procedures, update our processes. And again, look to see and where are we vulnerable so we can close up those holes. All these measures is what Ohio is implementing to secure. Absolutely. And I think the best example of that is is provisional voting. It's a safety net for voters. If our, my, my staff makes a mistake in registering for someone to vote and, and misspells their name, and so when they show up at the polling place to vote and the poll worker can't find their name, they offer them a provisional ballot. They don't turn them away. They're offered a provisional ballot. And that way, that provisional information comes back to the board and we can take a deeper dive into our records to see if we made a mistake. So it allows that person's vote to be counted, even if there was an error made. So I think, again, the provisional voting helps to drastically decrease voter suppression. And then it also, as I described before, is a security measure with elections because it ensures that voters only cast one ballot in each election. Now, Sherry, who really certifies election results? And at what point? Because we're here in Hamilton County. Who does that? I think what's interesting about it is when it happens, because I think most people, it's all about election night. And after election night, the winners and losers have been declared by news stations, not by anyone official. And then everyone sort of just goes away and thinks they think the election is over. But Election night is actually an unofficial count. Election night is an unofficial count. The official count occurs somewhere now. The laws recently changed on the time frame. It actually can occur as early as six days after election day, but as late as 21 days after election day. And the reason for that is those provisional ballots we've been discussing so much. Those have to be vetted by the bipartisan teams and the board must determine which of those ballots are eligible to be counted under Ohio law. And then those ballots are added to the election night count. We also have absentee ballots by mail. Uh, Mailed-in ballots, as long as they're postmarked on or before election day and received by four days after election day, which is always the Saturday after election day now, those ballots can also be added to the official count. So that's why we sort of have this lag between election night and when we have the official count. And those same processes are conducted no matter what 
the margin of victory is on election night. I mean, whether or not everybody wins big or it's close, those same procedures are still followed. At the local level, it's the county board members, the board of elections that certify the election results. If it happens to be statewide contests, then each county certifies their county's results, sends them to the secretary of state, and it's the secretary of state that certifies at the state level. It's always confusing to me. You say you send out to these, to the military and expats living in different countries. How in the world do you get it back in time to count their votes? People that fall in that situation, so military voters and yeah. civilians living overseas, they actually start start voting before the rest of us. We're required under state law to mail their ballots 46 days prior to election day. Really? Yes. Federal law actually uh, requires this of all states 45 days prior to election day. Ohio adds on one extra day for them, and it's 46 days prior to election day. Domestic voters are everyone that does not fall into one of those two categories, either living overseas or being in the military. Voting begins for you uh, 28 days prior to Election Day. Now, is this a, a paper ballot they send back or do they send it back through the wires? I mean, how, how do you get it? Uh, sure. So, th- again, there's a little bit of extra help under Ohio law that's afforded to our military voters and civilians living overseas. So in addition to the fact that they uh, may begin receiving their ballot 46 days prior to Election Day, they can choose to have their ballot emailed or faxed to them. So they can choose to have it in the mail. It's the voter's choice. When they fill out their application, they select whether they want their ballot by mail, they want it emailed to them, or they want it faxed to them. But it's really important to note that although they may receive their ballot electronically, they may not return it electronically. When they receive their ballot, they have to print it, vote it by filling in, filling in the boxes with a pen like the rest of us do, and then they have to mail it back to the board. It's expedited on the way out, but then it has to be, because it's a voted ballot, it has to be returned through the mail. Wow, there's a lot of information that's been passed here. Are there any new voting technologies being considered to enhance accuracy or efficiency in the voting process as we go beyond the primary? I always say that I never want to introduce something new before a presidential election. I used to compare it to Black Friday, you know, the day after Thanksgiving and the fact that I don't think Macy's would ever roll out a new cash register system on Black Friday, right? Now I think that's a little bit outdated analogy. I maybe could compare it more to Amazon wouldn't integrate new software on Prime Day, I think that's a good analogy in comparing to updating new technology on in a presidential general election, because this is when um, we have by far our highest turnouts is in presidential elections. So we like all of our, our systems, our procedures to be set and tried and nothing new. That being said, as I mentioned earlier, we are constantly watching and evaluating our systems and, and procedures as far as security goes. But I, I don't expect any new technology to be implemented before November. Sherry, I think in the midst of my beginning this interview, I forgot to say, hey, 
the primary election in Ohio is being held in March. Surely in May, we ought to at least address why is the election held in March this year? Sure. And well, what the date? Let's make yeah, sure. March 19th. Let's start there uh, <laughs> because that is unusual. Not only the fact that it's in March, but also that it's the third Tuesday in March is, is unusual. It's a little later in the month than when we normally see. And as we mentioned earlier, it's the General Assembly who sets the date, time, and method of elections. So years ago, our General Assembly decided to move the presidential primary election and to March. And I think that is so that Ohio may have a greater chance of, of influencing the outcomes of the primary elections for both political parties. We hold our presidential primaries in March. All right, Sherry. Can you anticipate any changes occurring before the November election? Don't anticipate many changes. I think that obviously for those voters who haven't voted in the last year, the ID law, the photo ID law is new. So I want to remind, of course, everyone about that. If you have friends and families, your listeners might be voters who participate in every election, but if they could think about friends or family that they have that don't vote very often, encourage them to make sure their voter registration is up to date by February 20th. Let them know early voting and vote by mail begins on February 21st. And if they are appearing in person to vote, they need to make sure they have the proper photo ID. A Hamill County Board of Election has a website. Can you tell people or voters how to contact you, whether it's through the website or even telephoning? Sure, we'll start with our phone numbers. Hamilton County Board of Elections, phone number is 513-632-7000. Again, it's 513-632-7000. We also have an extremely robust website with all kinds of information on it. So we encourage people to visit our website, votehamiltoncountyohio.gov, votehamiltoncountyohio.gov. You can register to vote online, update your address online. You can print an absentee ballot application. We also post the days and times of our early voting list of uh, the required photo ID. So there's a lot of great information on our website. I also encourage voters to follow us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, X, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So follow us on social media. We're often pushing out a lot of important information to voters. Well, thank you so much, Sherry, for joining us today and providing all this valuable insight into the election, Ohio's election process. It's been incredibly informative to hear about the measures in place to ensure the safety and integrity of the vote crowning process. As we wrap up, I'd like to remind our listeners of the importance of participating in our democratic process. So make sure you vote. Uh, Sherry, are there any final messages or call to action you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes, I want people to realize that this election coming up is a primary election. So this is where the political parties choose their nominees who will appear on the November ballots. Some people 
get confused over primary elections. When you go to vote or when you submit your application by mail, you will have to select either a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot. That will determine your party affiliation as it appears on our voter registration rolls. Repeat that again, because most people don't know how they become a Democrat or Republican. Absolutely. And it is different in every state. In Ohio, you do not declare a political party when you register to vote. So the first time everyone registers to vote, they're considered an independent or non-affiliated voter. A voter becomes affiliated with a political party when they vote in that party's primary. So anyone who votes in the Republican primary coming up this March will be affiliated on the voter rolls as a Republican for the next two years. And that's exactly the same for someone who participates in the Democratic primary. They will be affiliated with the Democratic Party on our voter rolls for the next two years. If a voter does not wish to be affiliated with a political party, they do not have to participate in the primary election. In Hamilton County, this primary election, there's only a very few jurisdictions that have a question or issue on the ballot. The majority of Hamilton County voters do not have the option of choosing an issues-only ballot. So I want to get that message out there so that voters realize when they appear to vote, the vast majority of them will be choosing between a Republican and a Democratic ballot. And it doesn't matter how they vote in the primary. They do not have to vote the same way in November general. We're often asked that question. If I vote in the Republican primary, does that mean I have to vote for all Republican candidates in the general? And that is not true. They are separate from each other. And nobody goes and checks the votes between a primary and a general election. Absolutely not. We are able to to keep on record the type of ballot you choose. But once the voter places that voter in the scanner, there is no way to tie that voter back to how they voted. It is a secret ballot. So no one knows which candidates or how you voted on questions and issues. It is a secret ballot. Again, thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having me. High Heels and Politics is produced by Marianne Christie and Ryan Kulik. Engineered by Ryan Kulik. Music by Sherrod Sate. Subscribe to High Heels and Politics on Google, Apple, Spotify, and all of your podcast networks.